Thanks for joining us for today's message. We are always so encouraged to hear how God is working through this ministry to change lives. If you have a story to share about how God has worked in your life, then let us know by sending us an email to mystory@timberlakechurch.com. Also, if you would like to support this ministry financially, you can do so by giving online at timberlakechurch.com give. Enjoy the message. Good morning. Hello, Timberlake. Representing upstairs. That's awesome. We're we are more than a couple of years older than him. Yeah, don't tell him how many. Yeah, I'm way, anyway. <laughs> I want to know why we're hating on the Irish Spring thing, because that stuff is magical, first of all, and it might be the aluminum that makes it amazing. Right? I don't know. I don't use it. <laughs> well, I don't I, use soap. I'm wow. European. <laughs> My name is Kimberly. You probably figured that out. This is my husband, Tim. And uh, if you put that together, this is fun fact. It becomes Timberly, you guys. So Timberly at Timberlake. Come on. That's amazing. No. <laughs> no? Do not encourage that kind of stuff. <laughs> it's ridiculous. And another fun fact is the obvious. We are freakishly large people. I don't know if you can tell from down there, but we're, we're big and it's okay. It's that, you we're know. Tall. We're tall. We're big, babe. Big okay, people. big. If you look in a mirror, you know, and it says objects may appear larger. Well, we really are larger, <laughs> so <laughs> we deal with it, but we match, right? We so match, good, yes, yeah. it's perfect. Well, we're glad to be here. We are joining you, actually, from San Diego. Don't hate on that. We've had a rough winter, too, maybe not as rough as yours, but <laughs> and um, there together for the last 13 years, we've been married. We have been raising our blended family of seven children, and we have six grandchildren now and only one kid left at home you guys how cool oh. is that yes. lord help us get that Winning. one out she's a senior and she's going yeah she is i yeah. don't care where she goes just get out that's gonna be very sad actually she can keep the house let's move somewhere else <laughs> I'm not that happy about it, but it's been a sweet season of our life this last few months, and um, we're kind of enjoying that almost empty nest. But uh, we're really glad to be here today. Um, you notice that we uh, have a nonprofit called Hope Rescue, and uh, that's for families at risk, and you'll hear more about our story pretty soon and why that's so close to our heart. And then we just launched Hope Rescue podcast about a week and a half ago, and that's been a lot of fun because we have a lot of stories combined and, yeah. and quite a testimony. We Hope, got some stories. HopeRescuePodcast.org. There's a plug. Okay, there you go. There it is. <laughs> well, let me tell you why your church specifically is so precious to my heart. I don't know if you were here. Uh, it's been 10 years. I did the math. I can't believe it's been 10 Who's years. been here 10 years ago? Yeah, that I came and... Three people. Uh, oh, okay, great. Someone's raising his hand. I actually was able to share my testimony and uh, the reason why I love Timberlake so much and your hearts is because of the heart of your, hearts of your pastors, Ben and Terry Sigmund. They uh, were precious to me during the most broken time of my life. And I'll never forget the day I entered the doors of a church in San Diego. My life had completely imploded. I had become a single mom of my five kids. At that time, they were ages 11 down to one. And I had uh, recently been separated, headed towards divorce from my my husband, who was also a pastor, who had been living a double life, involved in relationships outside of my marriage with the same sex, the entirety of our marriage. So um, in every way, on paper, I was a hot mess. Messy, 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 and broken and devastated. And I'll never forget some of the sweet ways 
that they uh, reached my heart and rescued my heart and my family's. Best thing I ever did, this is a plug for community groups, was I joined Terry Sigmund's community group and in that circle for the first time in 13 years, I felt completely safe, completely loved, and they allowed me to go through my process of healing and supported me and loved me through that mm -hmm. in such a special way. Uh, over time, I joined the staff there. Pastor Ben was my supervising pastor. And uh, then, gosh, uh, within three years or so, I met this handsome hunk. Can we talk about it? Flex, baby. Oh, that wait, flannel well, makes your muscles look so Do not big. grab a man's arm until he has time to flex. <laughs> And then let go pretty quick because I can only get hold this line. I'm getting a cramp get over a cramp. here. Yeah. I need a banana. <laughs> so we've been embarking on the last, uh, well, for the last 11 and a half years, we've been lead pastors there of a multi-site campus. And But you guys, to end of 2017 and, and coming into 2018, I want to say hashtag worst years ever. <laughs> you know, sometimes everybody hashtags, you're at the new year. Where's the best life ever, you know? It was really rough for us. And life is about seasons, isn't it? It's about the highs and the lows. And, and I went through such a deep low uh, before I met Tim. And then God just kind of allowed us to keep riding, climbing that mountain. And then we hit a tough season. And it began with Tim being uh, diagnosed with bladder cancer and his battle for his life through that process. And in the, uh, the middle of that transi transition into 2018, I was diagnosed with a brain tumor in my left frontal lobe, which is why I have this sassy haircut right now. And I was struggling with issues with memory, with my speech, cognition, dizziness, all kinds of weird symptoms and headaches. And so uh, four months ago, I had that removed and I'm still working through some of the recovery in that, but God is, we're here we are, right? Here we are. <laughs> but well, let me tell you this, uh, thank you. Cancer free. Cancer free, yes, and thank you Jesus. What anchored my soul through this process and, and deeply anchored my soul was that uh, those, those powerful truths that God brought me through that last mess and, and, and held me and held both of us through that, that he, he is faithful in the good times and the bad times and that seasons pass. You come through them and when you lead into Christ, he shapes you Amen. through them. He grows you. But I'm going to let Tim do the heavy lifting today because I'm still in my recovery process. And uh, But I wanted to greet you and thank you for having us back. And I know you're going to love him as much as I do. Yeah, isn't she awesome? Uh. Yeah. So, uh, ladies, uh, when you start marrying a guy, uh, start dating a guy, whoa, uh, you start dating a guy, you might want to bring up if you have kids. So here's the deal. So I meet this beautiful woman. I'm like, whoa. And then we fall in love. We get engaged. We get married. And then we come back from the honeymoon, and I walk in the house, and I go, who are these five kids? And she goes, they're yours. <laughs> I'm like, oh, wow. Okay. I was an empty nester. I went from a family of one to a family of nine. Unbelievable. No, not true. But I, uh, I, we love our kids. God has done an incredible job of uh, blending our family. And we're just, we feel so blessed uh, to be that uh, family that God has really taken and rescued us. And I kind of want to talk about what it means for us messy people. If you're a messy person, I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand, but maybe you could point at a messy person. 
Messy people are all around us. In fact, many of us are, and some of us are really honest about that. And I want to talk about the first mess that was ever made in humanity. And I want to talk about what God did in terms of resolving man's mess. You go all the way back into Genesis chapter 3. If you have your outline, uh, pull out your outline, and uh, you can do the fill-ins as we go along. And we're going to look at Genesis chapter 3, and it says this, verse 8. And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden the cool of the day, and the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. Why did they hide themselves? Verse 9. But the Lord God called to the man and said to, said to him, where are you? So get the background. What's happened here is uh, when you have made a mess, you do not want to be found. Why were they hiding? When God shows up, aren't you supposed to be glad? But here, here's what happened. It kind of went down like this. God put Adam and Eve in the garden, and he said to them, hey, look, you guys can do whatever you want, and you can eat whatever you want, but there's one thing I don't want you to do, and I don't want you to eat at the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And what God did, he didn't create sin. By the way, you need to understand, God did not create sin. Man created sin in the human experience. But what God did do is he gave man a free will and he said, look, there's going to be this tension between my will and your will. You can do anything you want, but don't do this one thing. This one thing is don't eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And he gave them a warning. And he said, if you do, when you do, in that day you will surely die. Well, they, they ate of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil both of them, and they didn't die physically that day. So how did they die? You see, in fact, they had what we call soul death or spiritual death. They began to die physically, but it took a long time. We didn't have the kind of disease that we have now. But the fact of the matter is, they died spiritually, and that very moment, it changed their worldview. It changed their experience with each other. Let me tell you something about hiding. There is a big difference between being lost and hiding. When you're hiding, there is a driver that is causing you to pull away in self-protection. You don't want someone to see your flaws. That's hiding. When you're lost, I'm pretty good at that. Even with GPS, Lord knows I'm in Seattle. For some reason, I don't know where I am. Am I in Redmond? Do you know that uh, when we got to town the other day, we decided to go by to see the campus here, and we just, I just punched in Timberlake Church, and uh, Kimberly's been here before, but I've never been here. She spoke here years ago, and uh, we ended up at the beautiful campus over by Bothell or something, you know, and it, I'm like, okay, this is it, all right, and she goes, this isn't it, Tim, and then I think it was followed by you are an idiot, but I'm not sure. She didn't say you are an idiot, but I knew what she meant. So we made our way over here. We had gone the exact opposite way. But nevertheless, being lost is different than hiding. Uh, in the same way, there is a difference between being caught 
and being found. If you are caught, it's because you have done something wrong and someone has walked in with authority or responsibility for you and you've been busted. Or your little brother who's going to tell on you. But when you're found, there is some hope that goes with that. And I want you to know that distinction because they were hiding and the reason they were hiding is because they didn't understand the heart of the one that was pursuing them. When, when God said to Adam, where are you? Adam, where are you? These were the first words of hope to the mess that came into humanity. The first mess that was ever made, the first messy person was Eve. Let's get that through, ladies. Eve messed up. She was first. I thank you for coming to Timberlake. God bless you. Have a great week. Okay. The thing about, the Bible says that she was deceived, but Adam wasn't deceived. He was just a jerk. That's all. Anyway, true story. But the reality was, when, when you are being found, it has to do, in deference to being caught, it has to do with the heart of the seeker. And if the heart of the seeker is to expose and destroy, then you're going to feel caught. But if, listen to this, if the heart of the seeker is to love and to heal, you've been found. Because then the words, where are you, are not scary words that destroy your life. They are words of hope that this can be fixed. God, you're going to take my mess and you're going to fix it. Do you understand what we're saying? This is so important. And so uh, shame says, I must hide out of self-protection. If you have your outline there, number one fill-in is this. Shame is death to the soul. Genesis chapter 2, verse 25. This is what it says. And the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. Why would, why would God put that in Scripture? <laughs> the last verse of chapter 2. So let me give you this. Chapter 2, they're created, they're put in the garden and so forth. And in verse 25, the last verse of chapter 2, it says, they were naked and not ashamed. You ever seen that show, Naked and Afraid? Are we allowed to watch that show? I don't even know. They mosaic, you know, so you're good. It's, you know, spiritual. But there's something about that. Like, most of us look pretty good in clothes. Like, you know, I'm not super, like, churchy dress up because I assume that this is a little more casual. Am I okay today? Should I have wore a suit and a tie? Because my dad told me, and he's been in heaven for years, he told me, are you going to preach in that? Because he expects a tie because that's where the Holy Spirit is for him. Anyway. But, I mean, we look pretty good. I mean, you know, I can, I, I always think of clothes as, like, clothes cover a multitude of sins. Past transgressions with food. That's all I'm saying. I look pretty good for an old man in close. However, and I don't want to get you sidetracked here, I see me in the mirror when I'm naked. And I'm like, are you kidding me? <laughs> My wife says, you're going to wear that sweater? And I say, I'm not wearing a sweater. Oh, 
there's a visual you can't get out of your head for the rest of the day. But they were naked and not ashamed. It's not talking about shame of body type or anything like that. It's the fact that they were not ashamed. Now, understand that God had put them in the garden. This doesn't have to do with sexuality. God told him, he said, when he put him in the garden, he said, uh, here you are. I want you to be blessed. I want you to multiply and fill the earth. That's God talk for, I want you to have sex. Well, it is. Have kids. So how did that work? Well, he created Eve. And Adam looked and went, whoa. And he liked what he saw. Isn't that amazing? Men are really attracted to women in their beauty, and women are just tolerate us. Whatever that, I don't know what that's about. <laughs> he's got a great physique. That's why I'm so attracted to him. No, he's a nice man. Makes me feel good. We men are like, just, whoa. So their sexuality was driven in that nakedness. So it didn't have to do with sexuality. But when they sinned, something took place in their soul. Their spirit had changed. They became dead spirits. And now what had happened was they see each other through the grid of sin. And there's shame associated. So the first thing they did is they so fig leaves together, and covered their nakedness. And then God came, as we read, down into the garden, and they hid themselves. So not only do they have a separation between man and woman, and that, that connection, that human connection, now they've got a separation between man and God. And that has been the journey of humanity ever since. This conflict with man and conflict with God because we sinned. And that sin was passed to us. And that shame is devastating. Shame always says, I must hide. And it's devastating to our soul. Some of you are possibly, even at this very moment or in your past, have been addicted to drugs or alcohol. Maybe you've been involved in sexual addictions. Maybe you've been involved in in pornography, or maybe you've been involved in food addictions, or, uh, or financial failures, or some kind of uh, activity that was so bad that you just feel a, a burden of shame, and you want to hide, and you want no one to know. And in many cases, no one does know. Some of you have lived through horrible abuse, and you feel the shame of somebody else's behavior which is not your shame, but you borrowed it and you owned it. And God is saying to you, wherever you've gone, whatever you've done, you have not gone too far. And he's crying out to you, Adam, where are you? And he didn't come to beat him up. He came to heal. And he beautifully, perfectly, skillfully reached into the heart of Adam and Eve and he exposed that failure in the safety of correction. And you know what he did? He took an animal sacrifice. He took the skin of animal the first time an animal had been killed for their sin and he covered their nakedness and he said, no more shame. Let's not do shame. God doesn't want you to have shame. The guilt, 
we can deal with, the shame we cannot. Guilt is devastating. Number two, God shows up in our shame. I absolutely love this point. God shows up in our shame and he came to them and he said, look, there's no more of this. You see, guilt says, I did something wrong. Listen to this difference. Guilt says, I did something wrong, but shame says, I am wrong. That's who I am. I'm a failure. I'm a mess. I'm unlovable. I'm unacceptable. I'm unredeemable. Nobody could buy me back. Not even God. Shame is something that has to do with reputation, has to do with social interaction. Guilt can be private. You can do something wrong and feel guilty. But the moment you feel shame, it involves other people in reality or in perception. And Adam and Eve perceived because, and perceived correctly that God knew what they had done. He knew where they were. But in his skillful redemption of them said that there will come a Messiah. He prophesied the coming of the Son of God that would one day crush the head of Satan. That's the gospel. The first mess fixed by God who says, You've not gone too far, haven't you? We're going to fix this. Let me tell you about Jesus and sinners. And we're going to look at Luke chapter 15. Those of you who like to follow in your Bible, turn there if you would. Uh, it's also on your outline. Jesus, how does Jesus deal with sinners? And number one thing I want you to understand is this. When you lose something precious, that loss will be your highest priority. Fill that in. When you, Because I want you to think about this this week. When you lose something precious, that loss will be your highest priority. In this passage, in Luke chapter 15, he gives three parables. Why did he give these three parables? How many have heard of this parable? If you've been in church a long time, you've probably heard of it, but it's also in our culture. How many have heard of the parable of the prodigal son? Would you raise your hand? This is an interactive Sunday. All right. Almost everybody here. If you haven't heard about it, it's just simply this. A man has two sons. One son wants his inheritance. He takes the inheritance. The younger son squanders it. He lives in horrible sin. He comes back after wasting all of his uh, father's inheritance, his inheritance from his father. He comes back to his father hoping to become a slave. And the father says, you will not be a servant or a slave of mine. You are my son. He gives him a robe, a ring, and he throws a celebration. And I've heard that preached so many times, and I've preached it so many times as a standalone parable, but it isn't a standalone parable. It's actually part of a trilogy of parables. And so I want you to see that. But let me give you Luke 15, verse 1. Now the tax collector and sinners were all drawing near to him. And the Pharisees and the scribes grumbled. You know who they are, by the way? The Pharisees and the scribes, they're what we call, what I call, the religious elite. You ever been around the religious elite? The sanctimonious people who's so much better than you? I can't stand those people. You know, I can't stand super religious people. And I've been a pastor for 45 years, so I can't stand myself. <laughs> no, I've actually attempted in all of my ministry, all of these years, is not only to preach it, but to live it, not to be sanctimonious, feel holier than thou. A religious elite has rules and regulations and says to you, 
And churches that are filled with religious elite are churches that say, when you clean up your mess, then you can come and be okay here. That's how the Pharisees were. That's what I love about Timberlake. It's not that church. This church wants to have messy people come in here. And thank God we have fulfilled that goal today. <laughs> I will never be invited back. But it's, it's the truth. They, you know, the religious elite, they're grumbling, and what do they say? This man receives sinners and eats with them. How horrible is that? So the accusation is, he's hanging out with sinners. So Jesus says in verse 3, so he told them this parable. And he actually told them three parables together. And they have similar thread of, of uh, they have a thread of similarity, these three. And it's really three. Let me give it to you real quick. The shepherd. A shepherd has 100 sheep. He loses one. We'll get back into this in a moment. He loses one and... He has the 99 who are safe. He leaves them and goes gets the one sheep. The next parable is a parable of a woman who has 10 coins. She loses one of her coins. She looks furiously throughout her house and finally finds that. And when she finds the coin, uh, she calls her friends, just like the shepherd did, calls her friends and they celebrate that she found her coin, which was a very expensive coin. And then the father, as I just shared, has two sons. One takes off and comes back, and he celebrates the return of his son. So why do we say this? In verse 3, it says, So he told him this parable. This trilogy of parables wraps up the heart of Jesus for sinners, and he says, listen, what you need to understand is, here, catch this, what you need to understand is, the reason I hang out with sinners is, first of all, I care about them because they messed up. And the second reason I hang out with sinners is because you guys bug me. He didn't say that, but I knew he meant it. And here's, here's the point. Of all the things you have, if you lose something precious, that one becomes important. And that's, it doesn't matter whether you have 100 sheep, 10 coins, or two sons. When you lose one of those, a responsible steward will pursue with great integrity. And that's what God does for us. You think you've gone too far? You think you messed up where God can't take you back? You don't think that God cares about you because you are such a wicked person? God loves you and is in pursuit of you with an infinite divine love that will not stop Till he's got you face to face and says, I love you. You got it? Adam, where are you? Number two, no matter how far you have wandered, Jesus will find you and rescue you. In Luke chapter 15, 4, and I'm sorry I have to read through this quickly, but it says, One, what man of you, having a hundred sheep, if he has lost one of them, does not leave the 99 in the open country. Leave the 99 in the open country? Why would you risk them in the open country where predators are? Because 
it is so important to go after the one that is lost. Notice he goes on. And go after the one that is lost until he finds it. And when he has found it, he lays it on his shoulder rejoicing. And then it goes on in verses 6 and 7 to explain that they celebrate that return. You see, what this passage is saying is, to the one who is lost, and if that's you, believe me, I've been there. I've had my reputation destroyed, not because of somebody else, but because of me. I've also had my reputation destroyed, not because of me, but because of somebody else. And I don't need to get into details, but I can tell you this, that the shame was overwhelming. And the desire to run and to hide was intense. And God said to me clearly in my ear, in my heart, Tim, where are you? And he says this, I see you. I don't want to be seen in my flaws. I know you. I don't want to be known in my nakedness. I don't want people to see my flaws and failures, especially God. He says, I see you. I know you. I know everything you've done. And here's the key. I love you. To be known by a God who loves us in our mess is power for hope of a changed life. I see you. I know you. I love you. Do you know what a cast sheep is? Raise your hand if you know what a cast sheep is. Anyone? I literally haven't had anybody this week. And one guy, one guy. We're going to get to two. We got, can I get three? Can I, I'm, 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 turn into an auctioneer all of a sudden. A cast sheep. Well, let me just show you. This is a cast sheep. A cast sheep. You see it on the screens there and on TV here. This is a cast sheep. It looks... <laughs> One of the tech guys told me, he said, what is that, a beheaded sheep? No, that's like an ear tag right there. It's maybe not the clearest picture, but it's a sheep. His head is on his body, but that's an ear tag. But anyway, he's upside down. Now, that's what a cast sheep is. Now, some of you go, well, okay, what? What's the big deal? So, a cast sheep is someone, let me just hang on to this picture here for a minute. A cast sheep is a sheep, when they, when they eat, they, they consume the food, and they have four compartments to their stomach. They're ruminators, like cows. And they get the food in, and then they like to lie down, usually on their stomach or on their back or side, and they ruminate. You know what ruminating is? I, I'll get back to that in a minute. It's going to be disgusting. So anyway, and then what happens is because they like to lie down, because they can digest a little bit better, is sometimes there's maybe a divot in the grassy area that they're in and they'll roll over on their back. And sometimes they roll over on their back because their wool is so thick like this, you know, baggage-carrying sheep. And the fact of the matter is, other sheep look and go, hey, what happened to you? I mean, you maybe had friends like that. Dude, you made a mess out of your life. And then, here's the church looking on. <laughs> Bob, are you cast again? What is wrong with you? And I've literally seen videos of this. A sheep gets cast, and the other sheep in the fold will come by and go, 
Bob. Well, they don't say Bob. That's not on the video. But I know what they're thinking. And they look at him. And then they go, okay. And then they walk off all together. And Bob is left there cast. Let me share this scripture with you about cast sheep. Matthew 9, 36. And seeing the multitude, he felt compassion for them. And they were distressed, and listen to this, and downcast, like sheep without a shepherd. That's the word cast. This word downcast has this, this idea that they've been cast. So being cast is a very important concept for us to understand. Number one, you feel that there is no hope and you feel like you are dying. Why do you feel like you're dying? You see, with these four stomachs, they digest beautifully as God created them when they're up or when they're lying down on their side. But if they get cast, those four stomachs work against them. And what happens is they begin to build up with gases. And as they build up with gases, it literally begins to choke them. And they are dying. And the shepherd knows this. And so he's got 99 sheep over here. And so he will leave the 99 sheep and even risk them to go after that one messy person who's cast. Because if he doesn't get there soon enough, that sheep is going to die. And it's a powerful demonstration of the love of God when he comes for that cast sheep. No matter where you've gone, God is saying, you matter to me more than you could ever know. And I'm coming for you. He's saying, Adam, where are you? Number two, your shepherd is here with rod and staff. Your shepherd is here with rod and staff. What's the importance of that? Do you remember this? Uh, in Psalm 23, the Lord is my shepherd. You know, when it gets into this, it says, it says, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. And then he says this, what is your rod and your staff, they comfort me. I've heard that preached like, Okay, we're going to get disciplined. I'm comforted by discipline. That's not what that means. The rod is actually used to fight off predators, like wolves. And the staff is used primarily to extricate cast sheep from their condition. And they would use it as a, as a leverage to pick them up you use on their legs to pull them over in different ways to get that sheep back up on their feet. Because if he doesn't, that shepherd will lose that sheep to death. And what Jesus is saying when they asked him, why do you hang out with sinners? He said, I love sinners. And let me show you in three parables how much. Oh, you messed up. And maybe the whole fold the whole flock is looking at you in a way you don't want to be seen. But don't forget this. God looks at you with a heart of love that says, I will do 
anything to reach you where you are. Number three, you will be carried on his shoulders. Oh, this is like unbelievable. <laughs> you ever remember when you were a little boy or a little girl and you weren't feeling well and mommy or daddy picked you up? I always liked it, even when I was eight, nine years old, my dad would just pick me up and he was so big and so strong and he'd pick me up and I'm like, okay, I'm safe. Jesus is coming after you and he's going to take you and flip you over. But here's the problem with sheep. Flipping them over is not enough. Actually, what happens is they oftentimes are so weak that they flop back over. They need to get the blood circulation back into their legs. They need to get the weakness. They need to get some strength back. So sometimes they have to lie there. They can't walk. So the shepherd goes, I'm not going to risk the sheep I love. And he takes that sheep, literally picks it up, and puts that sheep on his shoulders and said, I got you. I got, you got me? The loser? You're not a loser. I love you. Yeah, I'm, I'm the one that messed up. I know about the mess. That's why I'm here. Let's go. And when you're ready, you'll be able to walk again. That's the beauty of a good church. A good church says you're safe here. And what it says is you're safe to be flawed and to make a mess. And we're going to take you. And if we have to carry you for a while, we're going to do it. And when you're ready to walk and when you're ready to grow, we're going to be there too. That's a good church. And that's the heart of Jesus. He's saying to you today, I see you, I know you, and I love you. John 3, 17, For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world might be saved through him. Why did Jesus come? He didn't come to condemn us. Jesus isn't coming after the messy person to say, look, what a mess you've made. He's coming to say, do you know how much I love you? I love you so much that I gave my own son, the verse right before it, the one we all know, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him will never perish but have everlasting life. He didn't come to condemn us. He came to save us. He came to rescue us. Are you letting God rescue you? You've not gone too far. Doesn't matter how big the mess is. He'll fix it. And he'll carry you. And if no one else loves you, he will. Would you bow your head? Just with your eyes closed, I just want to challenge you. If you have never come to this point where you say, Lord, I, right now I acknowledge I've made a mess. I, I have sinned, and I acknowledge that today. And I just pray that you would forgive me my sin. Forgive me of those sins that I've committed. Forgive me of who I am. And I pray, Lord Jesus, that you would accept my faith in you. I believe in you. I believe you died for my sins 
and you rose from the dead to give me eternal life. I receive you as my Savior. Lord Jesus, come into my life. And you, you promised eternal life, so Lord, please give me this eternal life. Just pray that prayer and say, God, I, I acknowledge the mess and I accept you now. Heavenly Father, for each person here, for this beautiful city and beautiful country that we see here, Lord, it's such a blessing to be here. These beautiful people in this room, and some are hiding right now in plain sight. Lord, in, their, in the privacy and the safety of their own thoughts, I pray that you would speak into their ear right now, Adam, where are you? Adam, where are you? Adam, where are you? I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Timberlake Church Podcast. Stay connected with us by visiting TimberlakeChurch.com or follow us on Twitter or Facebook.